from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. And we've had a brief um, snafu this morning. I know all of our listeners there in Iowa, you've had a dramatic week with um, Derecho. I'm not sure that I'm saying that correct, but that storm that passed through the state. And we were hoping to have uh, my co-host, Bo Bonner, uh, on the air with us. But I think that he's having some technical difficulties with his internets, interwebs. And so we're trying to get him on the phone now. Uh, But welcome. It's always great to have you with us uh, here on a Wednesday morning. Um, From PA, uh, Dr. Bud Marr, my prayers are certainly with all our Iowa listeners. Uh, Talking to friends and seeing some of the text messages from the other week, it looked uh, quite dramatic. And I know many are still without power. Many are still cleaning up um, their their yards and other surrounding areas, trying to get trees and brush and everything clear. Uh, I hope uh, your chainsaws are in working order and our, our prayers and support go out to you. Um, but as always, we're, yes, Bo. I'm on. Are you there? Sorry about that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, I was just offering my prayers and support in the wake of um, not sure I'm saying it correct derecho, but the the violent storm that passed through earlier this week. That's right. Yeah. So sorry, folks, for a little bit of a hobbled start. We're all trying to figure out internet and everything like that, uh, like Bud is saying here in Iowa. So I guess we're doing an homage to everybody's general trouble by having a little bit of a stilted start. But yeah, this is the uncommon good and. Uh, it's good uh, for everybody to be here who's able to listen. And, yeah, bud, so I, I guess you guys up in Pittsburgh, because of your wall of french fries, were protected by the, from this uh, straight-line wind. I was So I was in Ohio the day that that hit uh, all of you, and when I got home that evening, I was watching the storm pass across the continent because I know Chicago, I think, got some of it as well. But it must have – I'm no meteorologist, but it must have weakened – as it traveled across the country, because that by the time it passed over our hills and French fries, uh, we got a gentle rain, but nothing more. Well, I figured that it was like, you know, the wave, you know, the, speaking of things that we haven't seen for a while, but like a wave at like a summer baseball game where, you know, it, it really fires up pretty good. But by the time it gets over to left field, uh, you know, it starts to die out. So I think that might have been how the Dechero uh, was operating out by you guys. Oh, there we go. DeCero. Thank you. <laughs> well, um, reading some of the text, it sounded like you were one of the few uh, among our circle of friends that kept power. Yeah, no, uh, down south, um, we, we kept power. Internet has been spotty and also some of the actual, for, for the very first day, actually, even phone service was a little weird. But uh, you, you go all over and you see uh, trees who got the worst end of it left and right. So, um, it's, it's been a, a pretty harrowing deal. Like you said, we still have some friends who don't have power. Um, but, uh, you know, people already out and about, like you said, getting out the chainsaws, trying to make uh, a better, uh, you know, uh, better day of everything. I guess they all have firewood in case they need it later this winter. Um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, our show's always underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu. Thank you, Mercy College, for underwriting our show. 
they've actually, Mercy's been off for two days in a row because of widespread power outages among students and things like this. So, um, you know, I don't know if, since I've moved up here, but that we maybe have canceled school once for snow, uh, but now it's been two days because of Deichero. So uh, I think it's quickly climbing up the boards uh, as being a reason for for schools to close and things like that. Well, yeah, I don't want to sound flippant with all that's going on, but, you know, at this point in 2020, it's hard not to have just a little bit of, like, dark comedic humor about <laughs> what else can this year throw at us. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah I, my my email inbox was inundated by students on Monday night begging for extensions on this paper that was due. And I, I felt bad that they, they even were, you know, it shows you how responsible Mercy College students are because I was like, of course, you know, in sort of this uh, once in a decade storm, I'm not going to hold your hands to the fire. But they were all they were all uber responsible to get on their cell fo- cell phones and, you know, shoot these um, desperate begging messages for an extension. Yeah, no, we were uh, getting ready to have uh, a meeting uh, at Mercy College where we, we all sort of get online and uh, the president, uh, you know, he, he sort of does a Q&A with everyone. And that was right when everybody was losing power. So there was all these messages that, of course, uh, can only happen in 2020 where it's like, I don't have any net Internet anymore. So you're like, well, how are people even saying that? And you're like, oh, well, they're, they're, they're texting it in. But then, yeah, we, we called it a day. But, yeah, but I'm going to tell you, like, 10 years from now, when people are thinking back and they're like, oh, do you remember when that event happened? If they're not sure when it is, they're probably going to be like, well, it's probably 2020. 2020 is probably <laughs> when whatever event you're talking about happened, like a windstorm, a pandemic, whatever. It was probably 2020. Um, and like you said, with all of that, with maybe a little bit of a, a, a nod towards dark humor, what we're going to talk about today is actually hope because we have a very hopeful feast coming up in the church, the, uh, the Feast of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary, coming up here in a few days. So uh, here on The Uncommon Good, we're going to talk about Mary's Assumption, what that says about hope, and what that says about the common good. So uh, even in, in the midst of pandemics and riots and decheros, we still have Mary to look forward to, to uh, imagine and understand what Christian hope looks like and what that means when it comes to things like our everyday life, the political order, and the common good in general. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Bo Bonner finally with you after a few hiccups. Bud Marr, this is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after these messages. <laughs> Folks, if you have power and you want to let us know what's going on, or maybe you can keep track of uh, trees or out power lines or whatever, uh, or if you have a question for the show or anything like that, you can use the Zipwood line. 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150, the Zipwood line. Your connection to Iowa Catholic Radio and the Uncommon Good. If you have a question for us, just do hashtag UCG for Uncommon Good. Comments, questions, anything that's on your mind, we'd love to hear from you. The Zipwood line. 515-223-1150, Maybe we can get... We can get the zip whip out there, uh, you know, whipping down uh, some of the, the branches that are still just hanging there. But this is the Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. 
Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Thanks to Blessman International for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Every year, Blessman International leads teams of Central Iowans to share the compassionate heart of Christ with orphans and vulnerable children in South Africa. You can learn more and sign up for a trip at blessmaninternational.org. Did you know you have a choice in your child's education? Smaller class sizes, dedicated teachers, a sense of community, and a caring learning environment. Whether it's in the classroom or at home, Diocese of Des Moines Catholic Schools deliver the best value in education, and we offer tuition assistance to help you afford it. Learn more about how the Catholic schools in the Des Moines Diocese might be the right choice for your child. Visit dmdiocese.org schools. Corel Contractor serves Des Moines and Central Iowa for all earth-moving and excavating needs. Family-owned since 1959, Corel Contractor will complete a project you can be proud of, on budget and on time. Corel Contractor, 515-221-9669 or corelcontractor.com. Thank you, Ashworth Vision Clinic, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365 on Iowa Catholic Radio. Ashworth Vision Clinic online at ashworthvision.com. Ashworth Vision Clinic, 515-440-4610. Thank you, Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, for sponsoring my show. John Lee and Eddie in the Morning on Iowa Catholic Radio. Golden Rule, servicing Des Moines for over 15 years. They obey the rules to live by, especially the Golden Rule. Online at goldenrulephc.com. with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Barr joining you in this post-apocalyptic wind era here, uh, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa Catholic Radio Studios, out to the entire nation, uh, like Bud was saying on the top of the show. Heart goes out to everybody who's dealing with no power, removing limbs and everything like that. Uh, God bless all of you, and if you're tuning in to listen, to take a break from all of that, thank you for taking time to listen to our show. So, Bud, uh, it probably worked out that we didn't have a guest planned for today. The guest was uh, uh, life and reality being tricky. <laughs> um, but the idea that we wanted to talk about was the feast that's coming up, so the Feast of the Assumption of Mary. Uh, I don't know, but I'll, I'll throw it over to you first. What, what, so for people who maybe aren't as familiar, they've only heard you know, about the Feast in Passing, uh, what what's the the commemoration of what what are we commemorating when we commemorate the Assumption and what what's the sort of role this uh, liturgical celebration has had in Catholic imagination? Yeah, so I would start by saying that for myself, speaking personally, you know this feast always um, moves me really deeply as a convert to the Catholic faith because Bo, I'm reminded each August 15th, that this is a truth about our faith that the Catholic Church has confessed explicitly and firmly that is pretty much unknown in um, other streams of Christianity. So I've always been grateful on this day to be drawn into the fullness of the Catholic faith. But um, in, in, in brief, so Catholics confessed along with all Eastern Christians and with you know the early church that Mary at the end of her life was assumed body and soul into heaven. And we see this devotion 
early on in church history that Christians are confessing this and celebrating this great event that God um, accomplished on Our Lady's behalf. But the the doctrine itself was not actually defined dogmatically uh, until 1950 by Pope Pius XII. Um, and so uh, there's a long heritage in the Church of celebrating the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, or as our Eastern brothers and sisters call it, the Dormition of Our Lady. But the, the idea, I think, Bo, in part, is that Mary, because she was um, kept free from the stain of original sin, as we confess in the Doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, that God would not have, it would have been unfitting for God to allow her body to corrupt like all other bodies, especially in light of the fact that we see in sacred scripture that figures like Elijah and Enoch, maybe Moses, were all um, taken up into heaven. And so we, we um, confess this on the part of oral tradition, but also in light of the fittingness of the event that Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven. There's a lot to say about this in light of the, the theme of our show. One thing that jumps out to me immediately is you think about Pius XII defining this dogma in 1950, and you say sort of like, why then? Like, why the timing? And I think, Bo, that you can see after two horrific world wars and uh, all that had gone on um, around the world, just with, you know, we think about the great devastation and loss of life in those wars. And the, the doctrine, part of what it reminds us of is that when God saves human beings, he doesn't save our souls only. You know, it's not that we sort of get our um, barcode or membership card and then our souls kind of, you know, fit out for heaven. But God intends to save all of us. And um, everything that Christ, the Son of God, assumed will be taken up into the new creation. And so Mary's bodily assumption is a precursor or foreshadowing of the glorification that awaits all those, you know, whose names are in the book of life. No, yeah, but I think that's a good way to put it is usually the church doesn't take the extraordinary, uh, the, the extraordinary magisterium, the, ex, the extraordinary teaching office to declare something unless there is uh, disagreement about it, right? Disagreement sufficient enough to possibly ca- cause uh, schism and rupture in the church. And so sometimes people go, well, what was going on in 1950 that, you know, where people literally opposing the assumption. And maybe they were, or maybe they weren't. I think that, you know, you can point to many things about people calling into question the tradition, uh, not only the tradition of the assumption, but tradition itself uh, by that time. But I like to think exactly like you said, in 1950, one of the most pressing uh, claims that against Christianity was, like you said, the, the fact that the first half of the 20th century was so brutal and horrific there is a real question I think you can ask if you're, you know, part of the many Europeans that saw the devastation of two wars, which is to say, should we have any hope at all? You know, what, what are we looking forward to? Uh, is the best we can manage, you know, at 1950, that's five years after the end of the war, that's like, the, you know, the, the Cold War is getting ready to start, and, you know, all of this sort of talk about what post-war Europe is going to look like. And it's not optimism. I don't see how anybody in, in 1950 in Europe, uh, in Italy especially, could look around and be optimistic about what humans are going to be like. Uh, but what it shows is through Mary, 
that's our goal. I, you know, it's not to say that the ascension of Jesus shouldn't teach us similar things, right? That like he's going to heaven and he has a place for us. But Mary, as sort of you know our mother and and the you know he, she is human, fully human. And Jesus, of course, is fully human and fully divine, but, you know, sometimes maybe we go, well, he's also fully divine, and we, we make an exception in our own head. But Mary's like us, and if she could be assumed body and soul because she was sinless, that means that death doesn't have the final say over us. And so I, I think you're right that even we begin to talk about the timing of the Feast of the Assumption in 1950, something that had been confessed for centuries on centuries, but now in the modern world needed to be re-established. Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven, and our destination and our hope is heaven, and not just mere decent life here on earth. Yeah, and and talking about that, Bo, my mind can't help but go to the work of Bill Cavanaugh, who we've had on the show in the past, and I know you and I have both been challenged by some of his thoughts on this topic. But he has this book, um, uh, Torture and Eucharist, and it's a theological reflection on the Catholic experience during the Pinochet, re- Pinochet regime in Chile, which was a really trying time for many Catholics trying to navigate uh, how, do we, how do we know the faithful response in the face of um, you know, a fascist dictator. And one thing that um, Kavanaugh points out in the book is that in that context and in other points in history, sometimes there's been the temptation to say, well, my soul belongs to God, but my body can belong to the state. And so I can have this allegiance to heaven, which assures me everlasting life, but still, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And obviously, depending on the the setting and the circumstance, these can be complicated questions. But one thing that Kavanaugh points out in his book, Torture and Eucharist, is that in a place like the Pinochet regime, there's that idea, but it's just not true because most states want to claim not only our bodies, but our ultimate allegiance. And if you read the teachings of Christ, Jesus was saying, not simply, you know, dedicate your soul to this cause, but that this cause has implications for how you live your life on a day-to-day basis. What you do, um, as one of our teachers in grad school said, with your pots and your pans, right? How you spend your money. And so that's, I, I don't know, when I think about the assumption, I remember again that God claims our bodies as well. And this should have radical implications. We talk all the time on the show about the common good. But at the very least, um, we can't dismiss bodily concerns. And in light of uh, our own history as, an, as a nation, you know, the United States, one of the glaring sort of theological shortcomings that comes to mind for me is when some Christians would baptize slaves and, and pronounce, you know, the theological truths around baptism, but then keep them in slavery, right? When, uh, if you realize the full implications of what God is doing by claiming a person to be a part of his family, the, um, uh, like, keeping a person in that state is just unfathomable. And we can, of course, look back and sort of uh, look down our noses at those who um, made those poor decisions. But it's a challenge for us today. In what ways might we be using a kind of piety to obscure the full humanity of someone else because of their own cry, you know, for justice uh, in their own time and place? No, I think that that's exactly right. The Church has had to 
again and again fight. I mean, many heresies, but there's two basic ones, it seems to me. One is that a sort of Gnosticism where the body doesn't matter at all. And so, you know, the, the this can play into that, right? That, you know, I can be spiritual and then what I do with my body doesn't matter. But this also plays into a sort of Manichaeism, right? Or a dualism and that uh, the, the body and the soul have two radically different um, destinations, have radically different hopes, have radically different ethical systems that pertain to them. And they usually go together. They're, you know, Gnosticism depends on a sort of dualism. You can have a dualism without Gnosticism. Gnosticism, just the literally word means, you know, sort of uh, a theology of wisdom, right? That there's a secret knowledge that if we have it, you know, we can be saved in a certain way. But it gets down to this idea, right, that essentially the world is, it goes in two ways. Either the world is so fallen and bad that what happens in the world is not, doesn't matter at all. The only point is escaping it. Or the idea is the world is radically bifurcated. And so what you do bodily and what you do spiritually have basically nothing to do with each other. And I think it's important to point out how the assumption is just a, a sort of reteaching of the incarnation, but in an important way. So Mary is assumed at the end of her life, so not in the middle of it or not in the beginning. So, you know, of course, our Lord is uh, resurrected right after being killed, and there's so much that's important about triumphing over death and everything that our Lord did. But Mary's pointing out, right, that this life on earth is to be lived to its fullness, to its end. And let me point out, I know there's there's a huge uh, caveat to make here. There are two separate understandings of the assumption. One is that Mary did die. That's why they say the dormation. She fell asleep and upon death was assumed into heaven. Others claim she was assumed right before her death. The Church has not decided that it has to be one way or the other. The point is, though, bud, that she lived a full life, and at the end of that life was assumed into heaven, body and soul. So this life on earth, even if it's difficult, even if it's racked with sin, even if it's us navigating the difficulties of this life, the point is Mary lived a full life, and God intends us to live a full life. That, of course, doesn't mean everybody lives to 80. We know all sorts of tragedies where people die young. But the point is, this life is not here to be escaped. Mary didn't escape her life. Mary didn't live to see Jesus killed on the cross and then resurrected and then said, boom, I'm out of here, and left. She lived a full life. We all have a fullness of life, even if it's very short, that we're to live, because this life is not to be escaped. And then, as you said in the Assumption, she was assumed body and soul. She didn't leave her body. Her body, because especially hers, since it was sinless, would not see corruption. And our bodies, when resurrected, will not see corruption as well. So our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And that means that we must live spiritual lives through and with our bodies. And the ramifications for that, bud, like you said, are long-lasting and need to be highlighted again and again. And this goes back yet again once more, Pius XII in 1950, declaring this for us right after, in the midst, like, like I said, right after two horrific world wars and in the midst of the sort of uh, agitations of the coming decades getting geared up. Yeah, I want to be careful how I state this next point because I think any sort of Marian piety normally comes from a very authentic place. And so, I, I mean, I love, I love the statues and the devotions, even some of the, like the kitschier statues, you know, like when I see 
a plastic Mary on someone's dashboard. It is comforting to me. I do think we have to be, what's that? Glow in the dark and stuff like that. Yeah. (laughs) It's great stuff. I've really embraced that all since coming into the church. But I think in, in this instance, we do have to be somewhat careful of not forgetting the, the shape of Mary's witness and her life. And what I mean by that is, um, I don't know. Like I, I am really careful. I talk about this. Like um, I've, I've referenced this quote on the show before, where Dorothy said, "Don't call me a saint. I don't want to be dismissed so easily." And I, I think Dorothy Day, it wasn't her best. Like I think she was off a little bit with that one. But what she's driving at is there's this idea of like plaster saints, where we have this strong piety, where we have this like devotion to Saint Christopher or um, Saint Therese or Our, Our Lady, and it kind of it kind of stops in that place without remembering what made them holy. And when I think about Mary, what comes to mind is, you know, when God first, um, when the archangel Gabriel comes to her and announces that she's going to bear the Savior, we have to remember Mary is, she's living in a backwater town. She's kind of the lowest of the low. Like she calls herself in the Magnificat. She says God has shown his mercy and his blessing to a lowly handmaiden. And yet at that very moment, she recognizes what God is doing for his people. And it gets back to what I'm saying about God redeeming all of us and God redeeming all of creation. Because she says in this great celebratory prayer that God has shown his strength. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He's put down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of Lord low degree, has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich uh, God has sent away empty. And I guess for myself, Bo, on a, a feast like the Assumption, you know, it's good to go back to the Magnificat, to pray that every day, of course, but to go back to the Magnificat and remember precisely what our salvation looks like. And uh, in this case, if God, if, if, sin, if God becoming incarnate means in part that he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty, you know, that's a challenge for all of our lives. And uh, many a preacher has said over the years, the gospel comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. So depending on our situation, we're going to hear those words differently. And um, maybe if we're in a comfortable place, it calls us to a more radical um, self-sacrifice, a more radical level of, of, of almsgiving or sacrifice of time and treasure on behalf of the church. Um, if we're in a place of struggle, like many are this year, the Magnificat and what, what God did on behalf of Mary reminds us that he, he does hear the cry of the poor and the lowly and the oppressed. And that in the end, you know, good does triumph over evil. Not like you said, in sort of this optimistic sort of manner, but that we do believe and confess that history is moving to a specific place where God will be all in all. And because of that, we can have this kind of radical way of living in the world because of our belief in resurrection. And that even though, you know, in the moment it can seem like um, the evildoer has, uh, has the upper hand. We know um, looking at Mary's Magnificat and then of course the book of Revelation, that that's not the case over the long run. No, I think that's important to point out. And just so people are clear, the Magnificat is the reading for the Feast of the Assumption. So, of course, the Magnificat is early in Mary's life, but we, we, when we celebrate this feast, we 
say the Magnificat again, we hear it again, because the assumption really is the fulfillment of that prophecy. She said not only about Christ and God, but herself. And what better way to represent what God does than to take the lowly young handmaid in a backwater town, like you said, Mary, and then assumed into heaven, crown her queen of heaven. That's sort of, that, that, that's not sort of, that is the track all of our souls need to take in order to be like Mary, the daughter of the Father, the mother of the Son, and the spouse of the Holy Spirit. That track to be lowly enough and to humble ourselves and to bring ourselves lowly so that we can then be blessed, blessed enough to be assumed body and soul into heaven. In the second half of the show, I think, like you've already pointed out, but you've pointed to the radical ramifications of what the Magnificat says, comforting people who are down and out, challenging us who are comfortable, but also trying to see how that hopefully gives us the right spirit to navigate not only the crazy days of 2020, uh, just because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, but even things like an election year, politics, what what can we actually hope for when we are the people that celebrate the Assumption and say the Magnificat? This is Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr, here with you on Wednesday for The Uncommon Good, and we will be back after these messages to keep talking about the Feast of the Assumption and Hope. We'll be back after this. Folks, if you want to keep up with what is going on with Iowa Catholic Radio, it's easy to do. All you have to do is follow our social media. Multiple ways to do that. You can go to iowacatholicradio.com, the original website. There you can sign up for newsletters, donate to the show, listen live wherever you have an Internet connection. You can also go to Facebook, just look up Iowa Catholic Radio, and then you can friend us and see all the posts that Mark Zuckerberg allows in his goodwill and time and manner to allow us to post. You can also go to Twitter, at IA Catholic Radio, and then you will get all the tweets that we tweet out from the tweet station of Iowa Catholic Radio. And then finally, you can download the Iowa Catholic Radio app, and wherever you have data, and, you know, it's a little spotty these days, but if you have data, you can listen live to the station, you can donate, you can do many other things as well. This is The Uncommon Good. And we'll be back right after this. Thanks to Blessman International for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Every year, Blessman International leads teams of Central Iowans to share the compassionate heart of Christ with orphans and vulnerable children in South Africa. You can learn more and sign up for a trip at blessmaninternational.org. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo is provided by Confluence Brewing Company, brewed locally and featuring regular, seasonal, and limited-release beers available at local stores, bars, and restaurants. Confluence Brewing Company at 12. 35 Thomas Beck Road, off the bike trail south of Grays Lake, and online at confluencebrewing.com. Confluence Brewing Company offers curbside service and would like to thank you for your support. Thank you, Confluence Brewing Company, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future.
Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Pretty warm for the afternoon. We'll be in the upper 80s with some clouds and maybe a shower or two. Down to 70 and cloudy overnight. Partly sunny tomorrow going up to 88. Maybe an afternoon shower. The weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy. Outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. Back at the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr joining you this Wednesday. We hope all of you have power or as much power as you can or need. Good luck uh, cleaning up all of the trees. Thank you for listening to the show. So, Bud, uh, First half of the show, we talked about the upcoming Feast of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary, promulgated in 1950 by Pope Pius XII. Uh, especially talked about its connection with the virtue of hope, uh, specifically seen through the Magnificat Prayer of Mary, which is the Gospel reading for that day. I think sometimes when we talk about the common good, or you say that you're, you have a show about social justice, one of the big temptations either when people think about what your show's going to be, or even people like us who put on shows like this, the temptation is to endlessly get mired into maybe specifics. Uh, oh, so you're going to talk about this social issue, you're going to talk about these particular plans, or you, you know, telescope out far too much and you talk in only generalities. It seems to be important that if we're going to talk about a Catholic understanding of the common good, it really is important to talk about how not only enduring principles guide what we're going to do with our everyday lives, but that really we have the example of the world changed and remade. When we look at people like the saints, we see the finger of God, not necessarily in every aspect of their life uh, for some saints, but in some aspect of their life, the finger of God touching earth and giving us a clue about the hopes that we should have and the possibilities of how we should live. With the Virgin Mary, of course, because she is sinless, we have the absolute mirror to judge our lives as potential saints with the saint of all saints, Mary, who is the mother of God. So when we look at her assumption, bud, it should be obvious to us that there are lessons to be applied all throughout our life. And this includes our political life as well. This isn't going to mean that if you look at the assumption, it's going to be obvious about who to vote for or, you know, if you should run for office or not. But certainly the Feast of the Assumption tells us where our true hopes lie. If Mary, at the end of a full life, was assumed into heaven, body, and soul, that says things about our life on earth. It says things about our constitution as human beings, and that really does need to guide how we look, what we look for in our life here in the political realm, and what we shouldn't look for in the life in our political realm. And I guess to throw that over to you, Bud, do you think that there's that, that that might be a standing lesson in the middle of an election year that we need to hear, is we can only hope for some things from this life, but it would be wrong to not hope for other things in this life, as it were. When you mention uh, where our hope lies, 
I think that idea has reverberations with respect to where our allegiance lies. And this is an issue, Bo, where I think we have to hold a few ideas in tension because our bishops as shepherds have made it clear that we have a responsibility to be prudent and contribute to the democratic process. Like we should participate in, in elections um, insofar as there's, you know, there are, there are candidates who we feel like can um, contribute to the common good. And so to use wisdom whenever we're confronted uh, with that decision. Um, on the other hand, or <laughs> in addition to, I think with, with Mary, and like you're saying that her assumption, body and soul into heaven was the culmination of her earthly existence. Her entire existence reminds us that our allegiance ultimately lies there and that our citizenship is in heaven. Now, Christians are in the world, not of the world, and that can be uh, a, a, a difficult line to walk. But Mary, when God first comes to her and God you know, first announces the, um, the conception of our Lord, she, of course, has this Magnificat that we've already, um, that we've already mentioned where you can see, so, so Bo, I guess what's jumping out to me is at that point in her life, she doesn't assume for a moment, pun not intended, she doesn't assume for a moment that, um, you know, like the political rulers or even the establishment in the temple is going to be on her side. That's not where her hope ultimately lies. Now, as Christian history progressed, you know, thing, the, the landscape shifted, and we got to a point where sometimes even... Roman emperors were saying Christianity is legal or favored. But I think even in circumstances like that, and it's going to take, you know, some critical thinking to say, like, where do we stand as Christians today in our own time and place? I think we have to have a certain level of detachment to outcomes and to persons. And what I mean by that, Bo, is like we use prudence and we, we say, God, grant me the wisdom to know, you know, how I should vote in election X. But anytime I think uh, our support for a candidate or a party over, like it becomes more important or it's like the, it's what's driving the bus where we're unable to see um, maybe that, that party or that politician's shortcomings, that there's a real danger there. And I think no matter where we land on the question of like this candidate versus that candidate, as Christians, we have to be ready to speak up and to pronounce the truth about what we believe regarding justice and the order of society, even if that means saying it to a candidate who we voted for in the last election. I don't know. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I think that when, so to, to talk about this, to get at a, at a side issue and then get back to what you're saying, if we're going to make this big point that the assumption is about hope, it's important to point out that hope, is ultimately about desire. I know that we might not think about that. You know, oftentimes hope gets confused for optimism that, oh, if you're a hopeful person, you just think eventually the dice will roll correctly and, you know, we'll, we'll get the right cards in the poker hand. Um, I constantly say there's actually no evidence uh, <laughs> in, in human life to be optimistic. <laughs> uh, I'm usually a party pooper when I'm bringing this sort of stuff up, but uh, I think 2020 proves my point again and again. I, I don't know if you can live through 2020 and assume things just will eventually roll out and come out, you know, all even. But hope 
is not the same as optimism. Hope is about desires, ultimately, and desiring correctly. And, and, and natural hope is just to say, even my most basic natural desires, when I'm hungry, hope says, I, I look forward to the fulfillment of that desire to eat. And hope sort of pushes us forth to look for ways in which that happens. So, you know, despair is the vice that goes against hope, even in the natural realm, means that we aren't propelled to go satisfy a desire we should have. So a despairing person who doesn't think they'll ever eat again, uh, you know, loses the will to live and things like that. I mean, we, we see this uh, in, in, in the natural world. So hope is that sort of fire that pushes us towards satisfying desires. So supernatural hope, right, is the hope that this life isn't it, or that, this, that there's more to, to life after death, or ultimately, right, supernatural hope, is to have life with God, to live with God. And that hope, which is a gift, because supernatural, so, you know, you have natural hope, but supernatural hope is a gift from God. That is the fire that pushes us forward to satisfy the desire above all desires, the desire that brings every other desire desire to fulfillment, to be with God. And so when we think about desire in the political realm, and it's interesting, right, to think about the Magnificat and how much it talks about things like the hungry being filled with food and, and, and basic desires and being met. In politics, the question is, what is the desire that actually motivates us to do anything that we're doing? And if your desire is to win, you have to point to yourself that the wins that you will get through politics are always fleeting, short, hard-fought, and liable to be decimated at the drop of a hat. And that, I think, gets to your point, Bud, about being in the world and not of the world, and yeah. taking a cue from Mary at the, you know, that the assumption. Politics is something that it's sort of backfilled. The desires for politics backfill from our desire to be like Mary and, and to be body and soul with our Lord in heaven. The question starts to be, if you want this life with God, what sort of things should you want while you're here on earth? And so notice that that doesn't mean that we're quietist or that we're, uh, you know, elitist or that we, like, go to the hills and don't care about this earth. But notice the order of desiring. Because we desire heaven, we desire different things from the political process than if we start with the political process and then kind of put heaven as a tack on at the end. And I think that that's getting at the point that you're, that you're driving at when we consider the assumption and how it can guide even our political hope. Yeah. And sometimes that hope will explode the categories we've been operating with. Uh, my mind goes back to um, the cultural situation in which that Christ entered into. And, you know, sometimes the world has a way of framing things in these binaries that I don't think pay full attention to, uh, the reality, the realities that we know because of faith. So what I have in mind, Bo, is you think about the people of God, the people of Israel uh, in the first uh, uh, decades um, of, uh, of the first millennium, and they're, they're being oppressed at that time. They're facing a very difficult political situation where they're not only under the thumb of a foreign empire, but one that at different times you know, shows a great deal of disrespect to their cultural and religious traditions. And so in that situation, I, I mean, I'm going to paint with very broad strokes here, 
but there were different groups of Israelites who had these answers to that problem. Uh, they were all wrestling with, has God abandoned his people? And, um, you know, part of what they were trying to answer is like, in light of the difficulties we were facing, what's the right response? And for some, it was that kind of quietism that you talked about. For others, it was fighting back. So uh, if if the Romans mistreat you, you know, g- give them a taste of their own medicine. That's the only thing they're going to recognize. And Jesus does something very fascinating where he doesn't he doesn't buy the idea that those are the only two options available to us. So our Lord says, you know, if someone takes your um, your cloak, give them the shirt off your back as well. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other. And so Jesus, in all these sort of creative ways, he advises his followers to confront the Romans, but to do so differently than merely like breaking out your dagger, right? And I think about that in our own current situation. So if we if we have this hope that in the end God has the final word and that our own destiny is caught up in that plan of salvation where we'll be saved body and soul and spend eternity with God, uh, sometimes we don't have to buy the way that the world frames these issues. And uh, I'm always a little nervous to broach topics that probably deserve an entire show. But I think about something like, like let's say immigration. And if you just treat it as a matter of party, party politics, the question might be, do I support the wall or am I opposed to the wall? I mean, just to like put it in a nutshell. As Christians, we might have an opinion on building a wall. But I think the more interesting question and the more creative response is to say, we're living in Des Moines, Iowa, and this is a place that historically has been a site for refugees to resettle because they're facing war and poverty and famine around the world. How, as those living in central Iowa, how do we witness to the idea that the church is made up of every tongue, tribe, and nation, and that because we recognize that we were strangers in our own way and that God has shown infinite mercy to us, how do we extend that to others? Uh, no, I think that's, and there's, I go, go ahead. Well, I just, I just say, I think that's a great way to put it, that it's not a matter of if you look at the assumption or just the Bible that you go, oh, well, now I know which party or which position to choose. I like exactly like you say, that it sort of reconfigures the way that we're going to talk about these things. Um, I think about another, this might have been yesterday's reading, but it was uh, the parable of the lost sheep in the 99 and we've heard that parable so many times that oh there's 99 sheep one's lost and the shepherd goes and looks for the lost sheep and so we go like oh yeah of course you go look for the lost sheep but actually you probably talk to some shepherds and they'd go like there's no way i would leave 99 of the sheep to go get just one right i mean because what's going to happen what if something happens to the 99 you start to realize that if you think about it, Jesus is actually saying something very challenging that doesn't fit into easy, quote-unquote, liberal or conservative or hardline or, you know, whatever we throw out. Jesus is actually saying something radical, which is to say, because of what we believe Christ has already won on the cross, we can actually make the technically dumb decision to go after the lost one instead of stay with the 99. And that's what I guess, I think that's what you're getting at, what I'm getting at, is if we know not only that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, but that Mary is assumed body and soul into heaven, we can take risks, which we can even admit on paper, aren't necessarily good gambles. 
But because we are the people of the resurrection faith, we'll take the gamble. And I think that that's what's hard for people to realize, is it's true. There are some policies that the Church backs, not because we think that they're great practical decisions. They actually do put a lot of stress on society to follow some of these things. But the stress and sacrifice and difficulty that we should be willing to take on ourselves because we believe in the resurrection faith. And people might go, well, that's okay, you're spiritual, but, you know, in the body we can't do that. And that's where we point back to the assumption that there's simply no way to accurately bifurcate the human body and soul without doing injustice to the, the person, but also what God has called us to do. We, we have to be this way. When people ask us to vote on policies, they themselves might think that, oh, to do this, that, or the other is just good business. And other people might point out, no, actually, this is a huge risk. It takes a lot of resources. It might bankrupt us. But because we believe in God and we have hope in heaven, we go, you know what? There's some risks worth taking. We'll take those risks for the one lost sheep. We'll take those risks for the down and out. We'll take the risks for everyone that Mary mentions in the Magnificat. To feed the hungry, to throw princes off their thrones, because we believe in heaven, we believe our hope lies in heaven, and we believe that's been vindicated with Mary, assumed body and soul into heaven. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot recently about the profligate nature of grace, that God, in his very activity in the world, is kind of reckless or wasteful you know the utilitarians might say you mentioned the parable of the lost sheep i think the of the parable of the prodigal son and when the son returns home bo i think as a strict matter of justice it might have been enough for the father to say you know i forgive you you can begin helping out with the family again but the dad puts a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and kills the the best of the, the fatted calf right and so the father, in the face of his son rebelling against him and wasting his inheritance, he's reckless. I mean, he throws this party where we got to remember, you know, maybe his wife was even giving him flack for, you know, dipping into the savings or whatever. But you see this in sacred scripture throughout all of Christian history. And as we've mentioned before on the show, any anything that we give for the sake of the kingdom of God, it comes back a hundredfold. And sometimes I've even made the mistake bone in my mind of saying, well, God in heaven is going to like pat the right people on the back, right? But you look at someone like the witness of St. Mother Teresa, and she did precisely what you were talking about, Bo, where in a society where they said people dying from AIDS or from hunger or whatever, like it's sad, but we can't, we can't do anything for them. So the, the calculus, the, the right calculus is to be productive or, you know, like make a difference where we can. And Mother Teresa said, no, these people have, inherent dignity their wealth is inestimable in the eyes of god and so there's something for me to be gained by being with them uh, in their final moments and mother Teresa made a decision that in the calculus of the world makes no sense yet she's remembered and revered around the world today in a way that many rulers who ruled during her, her time and had power and wealth and prestige are forgotten now the trick is you can't go into it saying I'm going to be remembered like Mother Teresa, right? But like having that sort of profligate kind of like total giving of self and resources 
not for the sake of some utilitarian end, but simply to know Christ and to know his suffering more deeply, I don't think we can even fathom how much that will come back to us. No, here at the end of the show, I, I think of a, a book that I recently finished called uh, The Seashell on the Mountaintop. It's about Blessed Nikolai Steno. Uh, Blessed Nikolai Steno, before he became a priest, was one of the best-known scientists in Europe. He literally started uh, the the field of geology. He also like was this master uh, like surgeon. He, he, he'd made all sorts of forward-thinking uh, observations about anatomy. This is all in the 1700s. He was a scientific genius. He was on the forefront of all sorts of cutting-edge science. But he converts to Catholicism and then becomes a priest. And he goes, and he's uh, the priest for the, the sort of northern uh, Protestant states, right? This is still in the middle of, like, the Counter-Reformation. And by all accounts, dies without much success. But because of his willingness to sort of give that all up, he, he, he's this miracle worker, people pray to him, all these things like this. By the world's standards, he gave up uh, everything, but by the standard of the assumption, he's the radical witness. Uh, he never said that his science was bad, uh, but he was willing to give up that good thing for something even greater, body and soul. And I think that that's what we're getting at about where our hope lies. This is the uncommon good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, our families, our city, our state, our nation, the world, solar system, galaxy, the whole kit and caboodle. This is the Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next week. But if folks want to be a part of our prayer life here on Iowa Catholic Radio, what are times that they can do so? Yeah, we'd like you like to invite you to pray the rosary with us daily on air at 5.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 9.30 p.m. I guess the way I phrase that may be misleading. The rosary will be aired. You won't be directly on air, but you can join with us. Uh, spiritually by joining us uh, at those times. We also pray the Angelus daily at six in the morning and the rosaries and the Angelus prayer are available 24 seven on the Iowa Catholic radio app. Yeah. Like Bud said, Iowa Catholic radio app is a good way to keep in touch with us, listening to the show, making donations, all those things like this. And folks, I want you to remind, remember that, that this is uh, this show and the entire network is not just the people that you hear on air. It's not just the people behind the boards or in the office. It also involves you. This is a ministry that we all do together. Your prayers certainly support this show. So do your donations. And so in the middle of the COVID crisis continuing, we know that it's hard for uh, nonprofits uh, that are battling an uphill battle anyway, but this makes the times a bit more difficult. We ask that you prayerfully consider donating to the show, and you can do that, or not the show, the station, excuse me, iowacatholicradio.com on the Iowa Catholic Radio app, or you can call 515-223-1150. We, support, we thank you so much for your support, materially, mentally, physically, but like we said, uh, the way that people have done that through giving and donating, we really appreciate that. And uh, we, we hope that as things get better and more mobile and eventually, you know, the, the crisis is maybe not over, but uh, controlled, that we get to see you in person and uh, start to be, uh, you know, the, the, the community that we were beforehand. We thank you for hanging with us and being a part and making all of this possible, especially during these difficult times. Bud, uh, thanks for opening the show when there was technological difficulties. I'm glad that we worked through it, and I'm glad uh, that, uh, you know, everybody, hopefully by next week, we can have everything squared away and there's no other weather events to worry about. 
Yeah, it's a little more difficult than I envisioned. I always heard you do that and thought, ah, they could have just stuck anyone in that chair, but it's not so easy. (laughs) No, that sounds good. Well, have a good week, my friend, and everybody out there, like I said, stay safe, and I hope the power gets on soon. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.